0: Welcome to Season 4 of Business Book Talk. I'm your host, Bob Garlick. This year, we have even more great books to help you excel in business and life. You can search for book topics and themes at businessbooktalk.com or subscribe using your smartphone for great content on the go. Hey everybody, it's Bob here and I've got Chuck Blakeman on the line Making money is killing your business. That may sound like a contradiction, but after reading the book, it makes a heck of a lot of sense. Chuck, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks, Bob. It's great to be with you. <laughs> hey, um, why did you decide to write this book?
1: Well, uh, I'm a big proponent of small business. I think businesses with 1 to 19 employees run economies all across the world. If you look at any healthy economy, 98% of the businesses have 1 to 19 employees and don't want any more than that. The problem is that none of the literature is written for that 98%. It's written for the 2% or the 1% who have it on their hearts to grow a giant corporation. And so you get books about uh, Steve Jobs and, and uh, the Google guys and the Starbucks guy, you know, Schultz and all that stuff and it's here's how we build a giant corporation. And, uh, and then we're supposed to figure out and extrapolate from that exactly how we would do it. The problem is that there's this, this ongoing assumption, especially among those who are proponents of those 2%, that a small business is simply a big business that hasn't grown up yet. Nothing could be farther from the truth.
0: Well, you know, when, and you mentioned this in your book, um, Hasn't Grown Up Yet. What does that exactly mean?
1: Well, so uh, a big business – and a small business live on uh, uh, would use entirely different principles and rules for just about everything they do. It's sort of the difference between football and basketball. A basketball team is not a football team that hasn't grown up yet. It's a basketball team, and it doesn't want to be a football team. And if if you read uh, books about how to build a football team and you're a basketball team, it's, it messes with your head. So if you read books on how to build a giant corporation and how all these – giants became wildly successful billionaires, uh, you don't really get out of that what you need for how to, write, to build a basketball team. So just the marketing rules for one, uh, one example would be that a giant corporation, there's two resources in business, time and money. A giant corporation, the president of the CEO of that corporation actually doesn't have much time, but they have gobs of money. So their marketing approach is to throw bucket loads of money at stuff. And if they do enough of that, they can actually build a fake relationship with someone or you, know, or you actually think you like them because you've seen them on TV so often. Uh, and so Starbucks can spend millions of dollars on marketing. Joe's Java shop, that guy has no money, but, but unfortunately he has a lot of time. So he can go around the neighborhood and he can meet people and he can do events and he can uh, b- uh, get involved in local uh, associations. And that would just be just one example of the difference Uh, between a big business and a small business. And the problem there in in marketing, again, is that a small business would look at what giant corporations do and say, hey, I need to spend a bucket load of money. I'm going to put $10,000 in in a one-time ad in the newspaper, and I should get $100,000 back from that. The problem is that the giant corporation has been putting a $10,000 ad in there every week for two years, and that's why they're making money. You can't afford to do that. So that would just be one example of the difference. So I wrote the book, to help people from a small business owner's perspective learn how to what the rules of a small business really are and how to build one of those.
0: Mm. Well, um, that actually is a perfect segue in, into the into the next question. Um, when somebody reads this book, what is the most important thing that they should get out of it?
1: Okay, great, great question. So, the book is called "Making Money Is Killing Your Business," and the reason we. Uh, Got that title is not just to be clever. Certainly, you want a catchy title, but the really the real reason is simply this: that people need to understand that that the pursuit of making money in a small business, you're likely if you if you pursue making money, you're likely to make very little of it. But if you have a bigger reason to be in business than making money, you're might likely to make a bunch of it. So that's principle number one: is you got to have a reason to be in business that's bigger than paying your mortgage. That's not motivating. The second thing and probably even the bigger thing to get out of the book or at least as big is that most small business owners do not understand the difference between building a business and building an income and they're radically different things. One will put you on the treadmill the rest of your life and make you a hostage of your business and that's building an income where I'm the producer and I'm the one making the chairs and when I go on vacation the business stops. Too many people think that that's a business, that is not a business, that is an income. In order to build a business, you have to change your mindset and the simple difference is this, in in an income environment you make money, but in a business environment you build a business that makes money when you're not around. So we want people to figure out how to get off the treadmill. That is the single biggest theme in this book is rather than building a faster treadmill for yourself where you make more money by spending more time at work, you need to figure out the business owner's game, which is how do I make more money in less time?
0: And a lot of times that's – that's about building systems. I think you, you talk a lot about systems and, and how to calculate what your worth is and, and things like that. Um, for a person that's reading the book, what is the best way to approach the book? Is it something you should read cover to cover or you can read the first section and then jump around? What would you say for a strategy on the book consumption?
1: Yeah, well, and and I've never read the book, so I can't answer that. <laughs> I wrote it, but it's like, you know, people, I've never understood people who, uh, who are uh, – made movies and never watched them, but yeah, I've never read the book, but I can tell you everything that's in it. But the people who have read the book tell me the best thing to do is to read it cover to cover quick. And it's a pretty, it's a very easy read. Um, And then what you'll do is you'll, as you're going through, you'll make notes of stuff that you're going to have to go back and go very deep in because we have we have a number of principles on how to build a business with 20 or less and fewer employees. And we have a lot of tools in there. Uh, how to find your, your lifetime goals and your ideal lifestyle and your, where you are in the seven stages of a business and what the four building blocks of a business are and how to build a strategic plan, not a business plan, and how to build freedom maps that will get you off the treadmill. So there's some very, very granular tools that you find in the book. Uh, and I would skip right over that stuff as you get into it. there's a lot of here's how you're going to build a strategic plan. You can skip most of that chapter, get the gist on why you want one and and race through that stuff. and you can probably read the book in you know four to six hours at most. Uh, it's written again in a very simple uh, language because I find that uh, things that are simple are uh, tend to be more profound.
0: you know and and a lot of this book is about clarity and motivation, the right type of motivation you talked earlier about, there's a lot of inspiring books for big CEOs, uh, except the wrong people are reading them. Um, so for, for you, what's the biggest motivation for the ever show?
1: And, and, and I, you know my daughter once told me that uh, I was a great motivational speaker, and I said, that's an insult. I don't want to be a motivational speaker, I don't, want to even, I, don't, I don't even like the subject of motivation and I had to think about that. People think I'm a motivational guy but the answer to your question is what's the, the, what's the single biggest thing that will motivate people and I would say the only motivator that matters is why. Uh, all the other motivators are emotional, walk on coals, chant at your vision board, all that kind of stuff, it doesn't last. Uh, but why will drive you forward for decades and it will give you a quiet resolve rather than a maniacal shouting that, you know, you get from some of this motivational stuff. Uh, people need to have a, 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 a tortoise, tortoise mindset of uh, I'm going to keep going. I'm just going to keep plodding along. I'm never going to give up the bulldog, the whole thing. And the only thing that will give us that, Bob, is why. Why are you in business what do you want out of this? What do you personally want out of this? Everybody wants to grow a successful business, but why do you want a successful business? I want a big house. Why do you want a big house? I want to travel the world. Why do you want to travel the world? And why is the only motivator that matters? And it's one of the it's a it's a seminal chapter, it's like the third or fourth chapter in the book. And uh, one, of, one of our business owners told me once after he read the book, he came back to me and said, I figured out when I got my big why, which is the the why that drives you forward. I said, how do you know? And he said, because every decision I make in business now is is, is rung through that question. And I never make a decision, whether it's buying a copier or two, taking somebody on to starting a new division, I'm always going to ask myself, why and does this help me get to my lifetime goals?
0: Mm. Yeah, very true. A lot of times I'll have sessions with clients and they'll say, I want to do this and I'll say, why? And they'll get pretty frustrated after the 10th, why? But then then they'll have an aha moment and they'll click and they go, oh, and then we get, and a lot of times it's such a basic human need is what's been driving them forward and they had no idea.
1: This is it, it's so important. This is one of the things I figured out actually writing my second book, which you already interviewed me on why employees are always a bad idea. <clears throat> and what I learned in that book was that or what I realized the big aha was uh, that the most human of questions is why. An animal will not ask why; they'll ask who will I eat, what will I eat, when will I eat it, how will I eat it, but they won't ask why. It's the most human of questions, and yet it's the one that we ask the least in business, why do I do this? We ask all the other animal questions, but when we get people asking why, they become fully human in their biz, and, and look out, those people get really, uh, you know, that's a business that's not built just to make money anymore, they're, they got a bigger reason to do it.
0: Mm. Now I'm gonna, this is gonna sound funny, but uh, I'm gonna ask you why? <laughs> do <laughs> do people not, how come they're not able to, to step back and say, okay, why am I doing this business? They get all caught up in the concept of it or the passion?
1: No, there's two two big reasons and probably 30 or 40 little ones that I've uncovered. The two big ones have one has to do with the industrial age and the other one has to do with survival. And the survival one is the first one. I either get fired, I get laid off, or I get so sick of the man or working in a walnut office that I just I have an entrepreneurial spasm and I quit. And the next morning, I wake up and say, what in God's name have I done? How in the world am I going to eat? I have to pay my mortgage, and off we go. And we are in survival mode. And survival mode will strip you of all your humanity if you never get out of it. Because there's no why in survival mode. It's what am I going to eat? How am I going to eat it? When am I going to eat it? You're just another animal trying to kill something to eat. I've got a mortgage to pay, and that's why I'm in business. Any questions? And, most, and unfortunately, most people get in that habit and then they never get out of that habit. And the reason they didn't never get out of the habit is, is the, big, the second big impediment, and that is that too many of us grew up in the shadow of the industrial age. And the, in the industrial age, the one question you were not allowed to ask in the factory system was, why? That's, a, that's questioning authority. That's, that's, a, that's a fundamentally forbidden question. The most human of questions is fundamentally forbidden. And for you to have a personal big why, where you're saying, I'm in this to do something in my life to create significance in the world around me, there's just nothing in the last 150 years of industrialized thinking that allows for that. I do a a seminar, Bob, uh, probably once a quarter on lifetime goals to help people get their big why. And very regularly after that, I'll have somebody come up to me, usually the older they are, the more I hear this, But I'll have somebody come up to me afterwards and say, you know, I've never been given permission to think this way, that I personally should have a big why. And my response is, well, who needs to give you permission? But see, that's 150, 200 years of of industrial age nonsense where you're a cog in a big machine and the machine has a why and your objective is to make the machine work. And if you do, you get a gold watch. So survival and a lot of industrial age nonsense keep people from getting a why. The cool thing is that the millennials are growing up outside of the shadow of the industrial age. And they're driven much more by mission and meaning and why and other uh, questions like that. So they're going to help us get out of this uh, goofy thing.
0: Yeah, it is very interesting. There are several very uh, amazing books uh, that have come out the last uh, five – uh, six years that talk specifically about the industrialization, basically how it's totally screwed up the last 30, 40 years, uh, not of the environment, not of business in general, but just the general psyche of the small business owner.
1: Yep. Yeah, it really is. It's, it's given us false motivations for what we do. What we're finding, what people are, are, are coming around to is that the 150, 200 years of the factory system was an aberration. It was a bad thing. Uh, the the toys we got were great, but the human fallout of it were was horrendous, uh, and and stripped us of so many things that make us human. And we're getting, we're you know we're, we're going to it's going to take us a while to get past that thing. But small business owners suffer a lot from a lot of industrial age thinking about uh, how to treat people. One of the biggest problems that comes out of the industrial age is the what we talked about in my second my other book, Why Employees Are Always a Bad Idea, and that is that that Frederick Taylor and a lot of other people in the early 1900s determined that people were stupid and lazy. And so we, we assume that in our small businesses and we can't trust anybody to do anything when in fact the overwhelming majority of people are smart and motivated. And we can create a structure that, that allows us to go on vacation and be away a lot if we believe that. There's a lot of that kind of nonsense that we're fighting back through as, as business owners.
0: Well, it's almost like a slave uh, owner mentality too, is like, yep. uh, you know, I'm above you so obviously you're stupid and I, I and you don't know what you're doing. So I'm going to basically mess with you.
1: Yep. And that was the, that was the orig- origin of the industrial age was the, the first factories were, were staffed by orphans who were essentially slaves and they got paid nothing. And yeah, you know, off we go. So the whole thing is built on a goofy foundation and, One of the other things that comes out of this mindset that small business owners have to struggle through is that they went to work with an industrial age mindset, which means you trade time for money. You give me eight hours, I'll give you 40 bucks. When you start your own business, you make the mistake too often, we make the mistake too often of taking that same mentality into our business that the only way I'm going to make money is to work really long hours, really hard, really long hours. I don't see Warren Buffett suffering from that. You know, Mrs. Fields found somebody else who could make the cookies. Charles Schwab found somebody else who could do the stock trading so they could do something else and and so we need to get over that the idea that we have to trade money for hours. That's the business owner's game is how do I make more money in less time? And the more money I make the less time I should have to be there. That is how a business owner thinks, but most of us have an employee mindset that we inherited from the industrial age we got to get over that and stop trading time for money.
0: Uh, you know, one of the, the key things is that uh, you know when you're a, a, a young teenager or whatever and your parents say hey, go out and get a job um, because you want to get stuff or whatever, uh, they think they're good doing the kid a good thing, but what you're doing is you're just indoctrinating him into a lifestyle of oh, I've got to I've got to work.
1: Yeah, have them get a paper route because then the guy gets to determine how fast he does the paper route and he gets to determine his future and uh, have them figure out how to put a lemonade stand up, have them sell candy at school. There's a thousand things you could teach your kid to do.
0: Yeah, and you know, it's interesting. All the kids that are entrepreneurial in spirit, they'll do stuff like that, but then they'll say, you know, I could get my friends together and we could do it and we could be bigger. And then they end up managing their friends and actually making more money.
1: Yeah, yeah, because they, yeah, my, my kids, uh, they, somebody threw a birthday party for me about ten years ago, and my kids were in their late teens to early twenties at the time. And the youngest one, they were everybody was going around saying, "Tell me one thing that Chuck has done for you," which was nice. And it came to my daughter, and she said, "I learned from my dad that I never have to work for somebody else."
0: Yeah, nice. And
1: uh, you know that's that's the uh, the business owner's mindset. Even if you work for somebody else, you shouldn't think that way. You should be thinking like a business owner because you'll make more money. For that person, that will give you more responsibility and that will give you more money. Either way, you win by thinking like a business owner.
0: Absolutely. Do you think that people that get the why, that are living in the why moment, they, they create a, uh, an environment or an energy and people are attracted to that?
1: Oh, no question. I talk about the word conation, to conate. It's one of the thousand most obscure words in the bi- English language and I believe it's the most important. I really believe this: the most important business word you've never heard to conate and to conate has to do with this this understanding of why when you have a powerful enough why your life becomes like this get out of my way i have somewhere i need to be i'm on a mission you don't understand i don't need recessions you know are you kidding me i don't have time for a recession i don't have time for whining i don't have time for obstacles i got somewhere i need to be everybody knows somebody like this When you have a big why like this, people just get out of your way or they they either get on board or they get out of your way. And so it's the the moving train mindset. Nobody uh, runs to catch a stopped train. And if you have a big why, you're one of those people that are going somewhere and people get to decide, do I want to go there or not? Uh, and it's very attractional and repelling at the same time. You know, I don't want anything of what that person's doing. Or, man, I've been looking for that for years. I want that. We we have people who have uh, been hired by us who said, when I read the ad, I said, they said that was me. I, I had to do that. And that's that's the the outworkings of a good big why. Hmm.
0: You know, it's 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 fascinating because a lot of businesses are built on the wrong premise, and then the because of that all the employees are motivated on the wrong premise and you kind of get this negativity going. How does a small business break out of that?
1: Yeah, it always, 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 Bob goes simply right back to the big why. You have to go to the business owner and say, okay, let's take another look at why you are why you want to do this. You've been doing this for survival for the last 20 years. You've been making money and survival simply has gotten to mean something else. Okay, so you made 5000 a month. And you had a house. Now you're making $10,000 a month. You buy a bigger house, you're still in survival. Everything is about survival. You always make sure that at the end of the money, month you have no money left. Let's find a different reason to be doing this other than just making money. And so we have to get them back to the big why. When we do that, uh, that changes the basis on which the business is built. And I can give you sit here and give you real-life story after real-life story of people that I've worked with and that I know who uh, Alan would be one. I just talked with Alan again last week. Alan had a a nice little, tidy little mortgage company with one and a half employees, and he got his big why, and he'd been doing this for 20 years quite successfully, and he got his big why, and now Alan has 45 or so people working for him. He has two different companies. He has three assisted living centers. He has a website deal he's working with. He's got uh, uh, a fix and flip company he's doing, and he still has his little mortgage company, and he works three days a week. And, uh, and he's the guy who said, I knew when I had my big why because it had me. And now all of his decisions run through that big why. And it changed his life in his early 60s. Hmm.
0: Do you think um, why can overcome fear? Because I think that's one of the biggest things that holds back most entrepreneurs.
1: Yeah, great question. Fear is, is you know, that's the old adage, fear, a false evidence appearing real. But fear of most of the time is simply an, un, un, an inability to see uh, a good result that overcomes the possible negatives of trying to get that result. So we call them trapeze moments. It gives you a great visual. How do you get to the second trapeze? You have to release the death grip you have on the trapeze that you're holding on to. It's the only way to get there. But you know what? If you don't see a second trapeze, <laughs> I'm not letting go. And so the point here is that to get over the fear, the way to get people over their fear is to have them get a real clear picture of where they're going, which is, again, right back to the why. Why are you in business? What does this need to look like five years from now, three years from now, one year from now for you to get to where you can live out your big why? When people get clarity about where they're going, that changes everything. Covey was right. Start with the end in mind. And if you don't start with the end in mind, then of course you're going to have fear because you're flailing. It's the random hope strategy of business. I'm just going to do something, and I hope it works out. I'm going to hire somebody. I sure hope that works out. I'd be afraid of that too. But if I knew exactly what I wanted and I, and I could fit into that strategy, the need to hire three people to do it, that changes everything. And, and, and I'm much more willing to do it when I have clarity, utter clarity
0: about where I want to end up. You have to build that trapeze to jump to. <laughs> yes you do. Absolutely. Now um you know to keep on with that metaphor what is the net below you when you're doing that jump?
1: Measured risk rather than stupid risk. Again you don't you don't let go of trapeze number 1 if, if there is no trapeze number 2. You know if if the other trapeze is hooked across the other uh, ladder on the other end you just don't do that. You get off. But me- nobody should be taking stupid risks. So to maybe change metaphors a little bit uh, if, you, if, you're, if you've built a boat and you want to leave the bay and nobody has ever left the bay, but you've swum out there and you know there's sandbars, there's three ways to find the sandbars. Way number one is to to go 40 knots straight out toward the mouth of the bay and hope for the best. And you will find one sandbar.
0: <laughs> Guaranteed. <laughs>
1: That's the one you will shipwreck on. The other way to do it is to sit on the dock Thinking, theorizing, postulating, hypothesizing, checking the wind and the currents, and you'll never find them that way either, but that's the educational approach, is to figure everything out before you move. And that doesn't work either. The measured risk approach is you know there's sandbars out there, but you are going to leave the dock anyway. You're just not going to do it at 40 knots. You're going to do it at 5 knots. And as soon as you get going, you start taking soundings. Is it getting shallower or is it getting deeper? And if it's getting shallower, go left or go right. Pick something. Don't stop. Don't sit and postulate and theorize. Pick a, you know, an intuitive target. And if you go left and it's getting even shallower, turn around and go right. That's what successful business owners do. They figure out what, uh, a little seed of what they need to do. They get moving on it, and they immediately begin to take the cognitive uh, uh, re, uh, uh, feedback of the world around them to make the plan better. So get moving and stay moving. That's how you take a measured risk. But you do it in a measured way. If you know there's danger out there, don't go fast. Go slow, but go.
0: You know, and, and um, you could even take that further. It's like if you're going five kilometers an hour, and even if you do run into a little bit of a sandbar, you're going to be able to get off it because you're, the momentum isn't that great. And you'll be able to basically save your business. Like, oh, okay, we made a little bit of steak, and We're getting a little bit of hot water here. But that's Okay. Let's pull out now instead of pushing forward and just trying to break your way through.
1: Yeah, it's one of the things I talk about in, in this book, Making Money is Killing Your Business, is that the, the safest way to plan is not to have it all figured out beforehand. That's actually the sa- the best way to, to shipwreck. If you think you have it all figured out before you leave, then you just follow your plan. And uh, in, in the meantime, the, all the sandbars have shifted and you got one of them wrong and you are going to end up on a sandbar. But if you, if you only figure out the... the the basic fundamentals of a plan, and get moving, and you know that you don't know everything, then your antenna is going to be up, and you're going to be uh, much more careful, and the likelihood of shipwreck uh, goes to almost nil. The, the imagery here is that your your plan should be the, the rudder off the back of your boat. Uh, it's, it, and it's just a nice little piece of metal off the back. It would be suicide to put a boat in the water without a rudder. It's equally goofy to build a 100-foot tall Uh, rudder for a 10-foot boat. You're just going to sink your boat. People do way too much planning before they get moving. Get a nice little rudder, get moving, and the movement is actually how you steer the boat.
0: Hmm. Yeah, well, it makes steering much, much easier once you're moving, for sure.
1: You can't steer without it.
0: Yep. (laughs) Well, it's, it's you know, it sounds very similar to a lot of the pivot um, approaches to business these days is like you grow the business, you bring in talent to grow the business in the direction you think is correct, and then after a while you say, you know what, this isn't working, let's pivot, but let's pivot in a way that we can still utilize all the talent we have on board instead of throwing it all off and starting again.
1: Yeah, and the key thing about pivoting there is you have to know where you want to end up, which goes always back to the big why, and then the one to three year objectives for the business, here's where I know I want to end up. If you don't know that stuff, then you don't know how to pivot. We talk about the four building blocks of a business. And the first one is the big why. The second one is to have a very simple little strategic plan for getting to your big why. And the third one is what we call freedom maps to figure out how to map your way off uh, the, the, the ship itself so that other people can do this. And then the fourth big why is outside eyes on your business who can accelerate the learning on the first three—the big why, the plan, and the maps—and and, and uh, those are the things that will actually help people get off uh, off the treadmill. Is those uh, those four building blocks?
0: Let's talk a little bit about you know getting off uh, off or out of your business uh, because a lot of people, I think they they don't get that uh, in the fundamentals that they should. Is it about uh, just hiring a whole pile of managers and and? just walking away? Or is it slowly, slowly finding the right people to do the right job and have them motivate and get your why?
1: Well, it's as fast as you can do it, which isn't usually very fast. Uh, people have this misnomer that that success comes quickly because, again, they've, they've read these books that from people who forgot that they sweated for six years before they actually began to taste success. And that never comes out in the books that that I woke up in the middle of the night just like you did in cold sweats and asked myself, what in God's name have I done? And so people don't see that. But the fact is that you should do this as quickly as you can. People always wait too long to hire their first person. I never heard anybody say they waited they didn't wait long enough. I've heard people said that that the first two or three people I hired didn't work out. And I should have hired a better person earlier, but I should but uh, that kind of stuff, the quicker you can build a business that is not dependent on you, the better off you will be. So do it as fast as you can, knowing that the first two or three or four years is going to be a catfight, and you're going to slug it out in the trenches. But unless you get really lucky, and I wouldn't, guarantee, I wouldn't pl- build, build a business plan on luck, you're going to be sweating it out for two or three or four or five years before you get to where you're supposed to be. You look at some of the research on how to build a business and and the, the number one indicator of success is speed of execution. Figure out your small little plan, stick the rudder in the back of your boat, and get the heck out of there. The number two thing is uh, be the bulldog. Time in market, or what I what I would just call, uh, stay moving. And if you if you see those two things in somebody, uh, I got moving and I stayed moving. I was relentless. Uh, the last guy standing wins. Keep moving, and uh, over a period of a few years you almost certainly will be successful they say 50 percent of businesses fail in five years i don't believe that i'll have the research here in the next 10 years to prove it we're going to do it i really believe the only reason that most businesses fail is the business owner gets tired they haven't figured out how to get other people involved in this thing and so all the other things that people call failure indicators happen because the business owner just got tired and quit paying attention
0: do you think it's because business uh, people can't let go? It's their baby. They have too much personal uh, attachment to their business?
1: No, I'd say that's what uh, income uh, people do. People who want to build an income. Uh, I call these people craftsmen. Most, Probably 80-plus percent of businesses are craftsmen businesses that are started with this statement. Wouldn't it be great if I could, do, if I could make money doing the thing I love? violin making or surgery or being an accountant or a lawyer I just love that boy that's my dream to just make money doing the thing I love that's a craftsman's mindset and the problem with the craftsman's mindset is they're the artist nobody's as good as I am nobody's as committed nobody's as as uh, experienced nobody's as invested nobody's as smart nobody's as trained and you have all this head trash about how you're special and unique and 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 you can't do this uh, so we introduced the thousand-to-one principle to combat that. In our book, we we suggest 10 or 15 ways that you can get off the treadmill. There may be a thousand ways that would keep you on the treadmill, a thousand excuses, a thousand reasons why you're unique. There may be only one way for you to get off the treadmill. The question is, how many do you need? You only need one. So stop focusing on the 10,000 ways, the head trash you have, that you're so, so freaking unique, and figure out how you can get off the treadmill. Focus on finding that one way. You'll find it. Henry Ford said, "Whether you think you can or you think you can't, you're right." So if you focus on the thousand ways you can't, you'll figure that out.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. You know, and, and it goes back to keep moving, keep yep. trying.
1: Yep. Yeah. Be the bulldog. Don't don't ever give up. It's a uh, uh, it's an axiom of business, and you see it throughout uh, really successful business owners. They did not give up, never give up, never give up. The business, the fact that it's too often I hear people say, my business didn't work. And so my first fairly callous question to them would be, well, do you know anybody else who has succeeded doing what you were attempting to do? And just without fail, almost every time, they say, well, sure, there's lots of people who've done what I was trying to do. All right. well, then I have to say the business worked just fine. It's you that weren't work- that didn't work. You know, There was something in the way you were doing it that was broken. So rather than saying the business didn't work, you're never going to learn from that. If you're going to go into business again, you need to figure out what you were doing that caused you to fail out of business that other people are succeeding at. If you figure that out, then you and the business will both work the next time around.
0: Mm-hmm. Or you get a lot closer to where you were going and then maybe fail, but at least you have an open mind and you understand that it's okay to be uh, um, at fault and realize that and then move and change.
1: Yeah, it's one of those mindset things. We teach people to stop thinking in terms of victory and defeat. I don't know if it's was Disraeli. Somebody said, uh, let victory and defeat be, uh, uh, treat victory and defeat as the imposters that they are. And rather than than going and getting drunk because I I was victorious or getting drunk because I was failing, the operative response should be fascinating. How did that happen? So we're just always learning. It's just practice. We turn victory and defeat into practice. All I'm doing is getting better. Michael Jordan said, I never regretted a single shot I took. I just learned from it. Mm
0: Mm-hmm. I, well, that's a fundamental problem a lot of people have. They get hung up on their mistakes. Oh, oh if only I'd done that! And gosh, and they're rethinking, trying to fix a mistake that's already passed. It's like just yeah, let it go. Coulda, have, shoulda, have, woulda. Have. Yep. Yeah, <laughs> the,
1: uh, yeah. The 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 Chinese say the best time to plant a tree is twenty years ago. The next best time is today. So okay, wham wham wham. You could have figured this out five years ago. You didn't. You figured it out today. Start doing it right today and keep going.
0: Mm. You know, I think you got to do another book called Just Execute.
1: actually the the next book is actually about that it's called bad plans carried out violently oh that'll be out in the next year year and a half and we've got it it's actually pretty much finished but there's some timing issues as to when we'll actually release it and it is all about uh, get moving stay moving uh conate the whole thing
0: awesome now for people that want to learn more about the book or have read the book and would like to learn more um where should they go Well,
1: they they can buy it at the website by the same name, makingmoneyiskillingyourbusiness.com. They can also find it on Amazon. Just type that in, Making Money is Killing Your Business, and just halfway through it will show up. It's uh, continuing to grow even though it's been around a few years now. uh, We're actually having uh, continued acceleration and growth every quarter. We sell more books than we did the quarter before because people are finding it to be a a real – compendium for how to build a business and and uh, it's filling a great need so they'll be able to find it there easily
0: Now you've got a, a website called, uh, called makingmoneyskillingyourbusiness.com is, um, is that about the book or is, is it uh, more learning or, or blog posts? That's
1: specifically about the book mm. I would suggest that people come to chuckblakeman.com which is my blog and uh, I've been blogging there for many years and uh, they'll learn everything they need to know about how to run a small business Uh, including uh, everything from my books. I started on the blog. I practiced this stuff on the blog before I wrote the books, and and I continue to blog there regularly. So that would be a great place for them to interact with me and ask questions and and learn things, and they can just pick through the blog and and find things that they find interesting to help them with their business there,
0: chuckblakeman.com. Awesome. Now, uh, before we go, Chuck, what's one thing that our listening audience can do today to improve their business? Figure out why
1: they're in business, figure out what it is they want, start with the end in mind, stop, getting, stop doing the random hope strategy of business, figure out exactly what you want one year from now, three years from now, and then uh, make every decision based on getting to those things. If, if everybody did that, we'd have a lot more successful businesses.
0: Hey, one last question. You know, you, you mentioned do a why session. Should you do the why session by yourself or should you have somebody asking you why?
1: No, I would I would definitely do it with other people. I, uh, I tried to do this actually myself one-on-one with one other person. It took me six months and he still didn't have it. And then I did a three-and-a-half-hour workshop on it, and invited him, and he got his big why. Sometimes we torture this stuff, but definitely don't do it on your own. I would say get somebody else involved in it. Your why shouldn't be that hard to find. It's pretty big. The problem is we, we clutter our why with all the details. So, so uh, you probably could find it much better asking your friends, what mo- tell me what motivates me.
0: <laughs> mm, that's a what good one.
1: Out of bed? What, what do I keep talking about? What lights me up? When you hear me talk, what would you say really is, is the stuff that motivates me? And they're more likely to see your big why before you are.
0: Hmm. Fascinating. Making money is killing your business. How to build a business you'll love and have a life too. Chuck Blakeman, thanks a lot for coming on the show. Awesome as usual.
1: Thanks, Bob. Good to talk to you.
0: Thanks for listening. And don't forget to subscribe, leave comments, or make a request on our website, businessbooktalk.com. See you next week.